0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church, and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to get straight into my message this morning, and my message really is a setup for next week. Kath's already mentioned that next week is Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is one of, if not the most important meeting of the year. It sets up our whole year. Uh, While our vision does not change, each year we have a theme to make sure that the vision is fulfilled. And each year we have kind of bite-sized chunks or or set goals that we want to see take place in a 12-month period of time in order for the big overarching vision to take place. Our vision that we've had from day one, although the language around it has changed, the vision has remained the same. It's simply this, to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. That has not changed and that will not change anytime soon. That's why we believe that we exist as a church, to see people come to God see people come to church and see people find their purpose and meaning for life. I can go to be with Jesus, a very happy man, if I know that people have done and experienced these three things. Find God, Find a local church and find their purpose for life. That's why we exist as a church. And every year for that to happen, we kind of pick a theme uh, that we feel God is leading us in and toward so that that vision can come become a reality for us as a church. And uh, in order to set next week up really, really well, I want to share a message that's in keeping with our theme for this year so that we can have uh, next week freed up to be able to get some people up here on stage with me and hear more from them as opposed to from me. So this is almost a a two-part Vision Sunday service, although I'll do a quick recap of what I share today next week. So please listen up and lean in because it's really a powerful message for Where we're heading as a church this year. Does that make sense? And so, together, the title of my message, uh, sorry, today, the title of my message is The Together Effect. You can write that down, The Together Effect. Can you say it with me? The Together Effect. The Together Effect. And I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 9, sorry, 4, verse 9, from the message translation. And it simply says this It's better to have a partner than to go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. That's pretty tough, huh? Two in a bed, warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. You see, today we live in a society that by large is very disconnected. And there's reasons to our disconnected state that we find ourselves in. One is because of our humanity. Is there one in here who who is not a human? I mean, we, we're all, we all have humanity to deal with. And as a result of our humanity, we have feelings. And, and as a result of our feelings, we get hurt and, and we feel overlooked and we feel ill-treated or mistreated and we get disillusioned and disappointed. And if we don't manage our feelings and manage our disappointments, what tends to happen is we isolate ourselves. We tend to withdraw from people. Why? Because we get into what I call survival mode. And we figure, I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm not going to put myself out there again. There are many people who'd love to be in a relationship, but they've been hurt too many times and they say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I understand where some of the disconnection comes from because of the hurt and the pain that's associated with relationships. But I'm here to categorically tell you that relationships and partnerships and working together is very much a plan of God Himself. And so I wouldn't want our humanity to rob us of what God wants for us. Not only do we have how humanity to contend with, but we also have an Enemy that we are contending with. We have the devil himself, Satan, who goes around like a roaring lion looking to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to rob you of every God truth. He wants to rob you of everything that God wants to put in your life. All the truths that he speaks over your life, all the things that are found in the Word of God that are for you, he wants to rob them from you. He wants to take them from you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And the way he does that is through isolating and separating you and cutting you off from certain people because he knows that when you are isolated, you are vulnerable to attack. I've been to South Africa many, many times. And uh, of all the times I've been, I've been numerous times to the game parks there. And you watch the animals there and how they hunt. And uh, they always look for the the limp or the lame or the alone animal or the lone figure, because they're the ones that are easy to pick off. They never go right into the middle of the herd. They're always looking for the weak. They're always looking for the lame. They're always looking for the uh, isolated animal. And that's how the enemy works. He wants to pick you off when you're feeling down. He wants to pick you off when you're feeling overlooked or unloved. And when you feel like nobody loves you and everyone hates you and you're sitting there eating your can of worms, He wants to pick you off because He realises that when you're isolated and separated, you're vulnerable to the attack. We all get attacked, but we're not always as vulnerable when we are together. Secondly, we, become, uh, we lose our perspective. You know, every one of us in this room, myself included, has blind spots. In other words, we don't have eyes in the back of our heads. There are things about my life as there are things about your life that we don't always see without someone lovingly pointing them out to us. We will never know our weaknesses. We'll never know our flaws. We'll never know our blind spots unless we are in relationship with someone who can point them out. The enemy wants you to be alone and isolated so that you don't look at yourself, but you look at everyone else and blame everyone else. We lose perspective. Thirdly, we also become selfish. When you only have to think about yourself and your own needs and your own concerns, we become very, very selfish. In fact, Jesus came to break the selfishness that's within us by living, living an example of what it is to live for others. When He was on the cross, Someone shouted out, why don't you come down and save yourself? And effectively, Jesus said, if I save myself, I'm not going to save anyone else. And so He stayed on the cross. Why? For the sake of us, for the sake of me, for the sake of you. He modelled to us of what a selfless life looks like. And God wants us to live a life that represents the life of Christ. And without that, we always become selfish. And fourthly, we see that we suffer in our health. Our health suffers when we are alone. Study shows that people who isolate themselves are more likely to die early. Is there anyone here today that wants to die early? No. We want to live a rich, full life. Uh, am I in good company this morning? Want to live a rich, full life. You can preach back at me. It's OK. I know it's Monday morning, or Sunday morning, but it's OK. <laughs> you, you, can, you can preach back to me. That's cool. Has this, Studies also show that people who have poor health habits, this is, this is profound, people that have poor health habits but deep, meaningful relationships live longer than those with good health habits but no meaningful relationships. This is good news this morning because in other words, it's better to eat Krispy creams with friends <laughs> than eat broccoli alone. <laughs> Let's go home. You can go home. Amen. Amen. I, I believe that to be true. That's why vegans are usually miserable. No, no, no. I did not say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't. <laughs> if you're a vegan, God loves you. Uh, I've, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, are you with me this morning? You know, have healthy eating habits by all means. I, I try and watch what I eat and, and if people who know me well actually know that actually I'm one of those sticklers for eating well. So I, I'm with you, you know, and uh, um, I, I'm there, but it cannot be at the expense of healthy relationships. The truth is we need people and people need us. We need people and people need us. And I'm not saying that Because I'm the pastor. I'm saying it because it's God's plan that we do life together. And there's an incredible result. There's an incredible effect that takes place when we work together. According to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to look at five things very quickly this morning. And the first one is this. According to Ecclesiastes, the scripture we've already read is this. Number one, the work is shared. When we work together, the work is shared. In other words, we get more done. But here's the even better news. Not only do we get more done, more gets done in rest. You see, Kath and I have just been away with with our family for three weeks. And we got rested in that time. But here's the great thing. The church didn't shut shop. The church didn't stagnate. The church didn't go on holiday. The church didn't just take a break. The church continued to move forward in our absence. Why? Because of the team and incredible volunteers that we get to work with that call Victory Church home. And so we continue to get things done, but we get it done in rest. And this is the incredible win-win that we can have when we choose to put our hand up and work together. You know, the term burnout gets thrown around a lot, particularly in church life. We're hearing it more and more in the workplace. We're hearing it more and more in the sporting realm. Lots of burnout, lots of mental breakdowns, etc., etc. And I'm not here to be insensitive to that. But I do want to address the issue very quickly this morning because I do believe that burnout is not happening for the reason that we think it's happening. See, burnout is not the result of the church asking too much. I want to sit in that for a moment. I do not believe that the reason people burn out in church is because the church itself is asking too much. I believe it's because individuals are doing too much. There's a difference. I don't believe it's because the church is asking too much. I believe it's because individuals are doing too much. And if individuals are doing too much, we have to ask, why are individuals doing too much? And can I just put a solution out there? Or a reason out there? Is it possible that individuals are doing too much because too many aren't doing anything? And when someone is struggling under the weight of the work, we say, ah, the church burnt them out. Maybe it's not the church that burnt them out. Maybe it's because we didn't come alongside and help those that were struggling at the time. Maybe the pastor's is not the solution. Maybe we are. Maybe if we could work collectively together, we could eradicate burnout overnight. By sharing the load. And we would find this, that not only the work would get done, but we could do it in rest. People often think a church this size actually doesn't need any more volunteers, doesn't need any more help because all the positions are covered. But I promise you this, anyone who's working and serving and volunteering in this church right now would say, we need more help. If for no other reason, just to give certain people a break and a rest. God doesn't want us to work out of frustration. He wants us to work out of a place of rest. And this year I'm going to look and we're going to take a month to go through what it is to truly Sabbath. I, I know I'm a guy that likes to work at a high level and when I'm on, I'm on. But as I've looked at my life over the last 26 plus years, although I have a big work ethic, I have learnt the secret of tapping into what it is to truly rest. And I do know how to rest. I do know how to switch off. And I want to talk about some of those things uh, during the course of this year so that we can work hard and serve hard and do what we do in our families, in in our marriages and, and in our churches and jobs and all those things and find the balance and do it in rest. And I believe one of the reasons we can, one of the ways we can do that is if we can get more people involved and understanding the more I'm involved, it means the less someone else has to be involved. And I believe we can eradicate this burnout and this hurry and this rush. Are you with me? Let me just go to the scriptures to to back this thought. Because in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus said this When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's where all ministry starts, with compassion not job title, not position, but compassion, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So the problem is not the bigness of the vision. It's the smallness of the workers. And then he says this, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. According to Jesus, He didn't say, hey, pastors, back off, make your vision smaller. He said, no, ask the people to get involved. It wasn't about making the vision smaller. It wasn't about making the harvest smaller. It wasn't about making the vision smaller. It was about getting more people involved. And when we get more people involved, there's a greater effort and a greater reward. And the work is shared and fewer people get worn out and burnt out. Are you with me this morning? Behind me is a picture right now of a a draft horse. If we can just have that up, that'd be great. Now, right now, I know something's happening in my dad's life. My dad's sitting there thinking, oh my goodness me, what a, a magnificent creature. My dad my dad loves animals, but in particular horses, and he has painted so many Clydesdale horses in his life. In actual fact, he had the privilege many years ago when I was an apprentice with my dad to make a full-size Clydesdale. And I'd like to tell you, we made a Clydesdale. The reality is I was pretty much just there watching in awe of my dad carving away. And that Clydesdale horse sat on the bank of the brewery. Uh, river uh, brewery lights uh, Christmas after Christmas. So, if you ever saw a full sized Clydesdale horse standing on the banks of the brewery uh, at Christmas time, me and dad made that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he loves his Clydesdale horses. Um, but, fun fact interesting fact about Clydesdale horses or, or um, horses of this nature um, a draft horse uh, is believed to be able to pull around. 8,000 pounds of weight. That's a lot of weight. For those of you who like gymming, uh, if you can do a 250-pound bench press, you're doing okay. 250 pounds. These guys, by themselves, can pull 8,000 pounds. I mean, that's a, that's a great effort. But the interesting fact is when you put two of these draft horses together, they can pull a total of 24,000 pounds. In other words, two horses don't pull twice the work. Two horses pull three times the weight. In other words, there's not a doubling of our effort. There's an exponential increase when we work together. And I think that is exciting. Imagine what we can do as a church as more and more people choose to work together. We're not just doubling our efforts. We're tripling and quadrupling our efforts when we learn To work together. In actual fact, I think that's why the church continues to advance right across the world because where two, where two come together, where three come together, God exponentially adds His grace. And it's not about doubling or tripling the work; it's about exponentially increasing the work of God in our midst. So we see, according to Ecclesiastes, that the first thing that happens when we come together is that the work is shared. Secondly, that the wealth is doubled. This is exciting. The wealth is doubled. The money, the knowledge, and the ideas all increase. You may have heard it said that two heads are better than one. That's right. And you've only got to go to a quiz night to know that two heads are better than one. Uh, our family have kind of got into quiz nights. and I know there's a few of you out there that have kind of been finding yourself uh, doing certain quiz nights. And they're always good. But, but what I found is that uh, if I went to a quiz night by myself, it would not be good. <laughs> it would not be good. Because I only have my knowledge to draw from. And I've learned this about me. My general knowledge isn't that knowledgeable. It's not that deep. It's not that wide. But we found ourselves having a meal at a pub uh, with our family uh, a few weeks, a few months ago. And uh, lo and behold, it was a quiz night. We didn't even know. It was a quiz night at this particular place where we were just having a meal. And they said, would you like to partake in the the quiz night said, sure. I said, you need to come up with a team name. And I said, we're the Rainbows. <laughs> and he said, what? He said something I can't even repeat. But uh, I said, no, 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 we're the Rainbows. It's our last name. <laughs> he said, oh, lucky you. Anyway. <laughs> so writes down the Rainbows. And th- there's just the little rainbow family. There's me, Kath, and the kids. And, and I, I think we may have had... Uh, Either Taylor was there or, or Nat was there. So we had a ring-in or two, which was great. And, and uh, it was amazing. At the end of the night, you, you'll never guess what happened. The Rainbows, there was 18 teams. And the Rainbows, thank you very much, ended second top that night. We came second. We came runners-up. The Rainbows. And we almost took first spot. We was only just off first spot. And I looked around at our team. I thought, man, it wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of you. It wasn't because of you. It certainly wasn't because of me. It was because of us. Together, we were able to achieve more as we drew off some of our knowledge. You know, 80s music, I, I'm the guy. If you want 80s music, I'm there. So they've got to listen to this tune, I know what that is. But some of the newer music, I'm like a dear, but And Mitch and George were all over that. And then there's things that Kath was good at. I can't remember what they were, but I'm sure there was some, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't quite remember. I think, you were, I think you were just giving us a drink or something. I'm not sure, but you were telling me, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. She was great. It was just great. As if we weren't together, we found ourselves coming runners up. Why? Because the wealth of knowledge is doubled. Because two heads are better than one. When someone says to you something that you feel you don't have the answer for, that's not an excuse to to give up. The answers are everywhere. You just got to ask the right people. You just got to ask the right people. You don't have to have the solution for everything. You've just got to find people who do. This is a great thing. And what I love about this community, and this is why I believe God wants us to be part of community, because in this community, there are answers to your problems. There are answers to your situations. How do you you manage to keep yourself pure as a single person in this world where there's so much graphic stuff going on? That's a very real question. But we have a lot of people who are doing it right now. A lot of people in this church are living that way, right here, right now. And they can help you. They've got answers for you. Things that you're struggling with, they've got answers for you right now. And I love that thought of what takes place in a community, particularly the church. You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know people who do because two heads are better than one. Amen? Amen. Oh, stop it. Not only two heads better than one, but two wallets are better than one. You know, when you come together, it's, it's amazing uh, watching Nat and George. George has been saving hard for a home and, and she's got a certain amount in her bank and, and Nat's been saving hard and he's got a certain amount in his bank. But when they came together, they said, wow, We're together we've got a lot of money. Together, overnight, their money all but double. Jordan would say, actually, it wasn't quite because she has a bit more than Nat, but that's fine. <laughs> That's fine. You go, girl. But, but the reality is they have more together. When Kath married me, she got the home that I was able to buy prior to being married. But when Kath came, we were able to furnish that home. And so I had a home. But when I got married, uh, we were able to turn a, home, a house into a home. There were things we were able to do. And I believe that is true of the church. There's certain things we can do with our finances individually. But when we pool our finances... We can do so much more. And I believe that's, that, that's the incredible advantage of us being focused, laser focused when it comes to the areas we serve in, the areas we give in and the areas we spend our money on. And that's a big part of Vision Sunday. We're going to be talking about what it is that we're doing and why and what it is that we're not going to be doing and why. So that we can stay laser focused in our approach to 2020. Does that make sense? So the wealth is doubled. Thirdly, the weight is halved. In verse 10, it says, if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Life is tough. When you've got no one to help you, it's tough. And you might be a single parent here today. And life's tough, but you don't have to do it alone. It doesn't mean that uh, you're going to get married overnight, necessarily, but it means you don't have to do it alone. And we've got a lot of single parents that are finding respite and help through the community of the church and their friendship circles. But if you do it alone, gee, it's tough. And as tough as your season might be, don't make it any tougher by doing it alone. You see, we all need someone to help and we all need someone to help us. I don't care who you are. You're there to help someone. And I don't care who you are. You all need help at times. That's true for me. It's true for my wife. It's true for our kids. And it's true for every person in this church. You don't have to carry things alone. That's, that's what I'm here to say. You may have heard it said that a problem shared is a problem halved. Every one of us has responsibilities. It doesn't matter what age you are. Every one of us carries weight. You get married, there's extra weight. You have kids, there's certainly more weight. You take on a new job, there's more weight. You go to exam time, there's more weight. You become a boss of a company, there's more weight. There's weight with every season of our lives. Even our 13-year-old, as as she's faced different things at church, going into camp wasn't her ideal idea of fun, but it was part of the curriculum, and and so she had to build up. It was was a weighty season for her as she negotiated doing something that actually isn't what she really wanted to do. But you know what? She found the courage to do it, and we negotiated that season. Some of you think, ah, I camp, I love it. It doesn't even matter. Some of you can't wait to get out of school and all that. But for each of us, there's different seasons, and those seasons carry weight. And I'm here to say no matter what season you're in, no matter what weight you're carrying, No matter what age you are, you don't have to do those things alone. I say talk about it, particularly for the men. Don't be so stubborn. There's an advert on television right now. There's a guy, he's clearly bogged in mud with his car. And his two mates come up and say, hey, you're bogged there. He goes, no, just parking. (laughs) If you're bogged, if you're stuck in the mud in your season of life, don't kid yourself or anyone else that you're just parking here. Just wanted to rest. Just wanted to stay here. Let's be open. Let's be honest. Let's not do life alone. Why? Because the weight is halved when you share it. Are you with me? What I would say as a clause to this thought is be careful who you go to. Be careful who you go to for your advice. You see, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He was feeling the weight of what he was about to do, and that was to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's a weight none of us fully understand. He was so much pressure that he was sweating blood. And he was with his disciples, and he said to his disciples, stay here, I'm going to go over here for a moment. And it was over there, away from his disciples, he pours out the weight and the concern that was on his heart to God the Father. And he says, Father, if this cup can be removed. Now, at that moment, it almost sounds like a whinge. It almost sounds like Jesus is bailing. It almost sounds like Jesus is having second thoughts about why he came. And yet Jesus never sins. So this, these words that are coming out of his mouth are not wrong. They're not sin. They're just simply Wait. He's expressing the weight of what he's feeling, the weight of what he's experiencing, the weight of what he's doing and the weight of what he's about to experience. And he pours that out to his Father. And it comes to this conclusion, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus never sinned. So what he said wasn't wrong. But where Jesus got that moment right is who he went to. Can you imagine if Jesus said exactly the same thing to Peter? Hey, Peter, come here. Peter goes, guys, Jesus wants to talk to me. What's up, Jesus? Uh, Peter, I need you know, man, I'm struggling. And if this cup can be removed from me, I'm open to ideas now, man. Do you know what Peter's going to do? Peter's going to go, Jesus, leave it with me, I got this. And the whole plan of salvation for humanity is thwarted because Jesus said the right thing to the wrong person. Why? Because Peter couldn't help him. Yeah. The difference between gossip and getting counsel is who do you go to? If you go to someone who can't help you and just pour out what it is that you're feeling about what you're going through or what, the way you're being treated, and that person can't help you, it's just gossip. You're just giving them information to someone who can't actually help you. When you're in need, you need to go to someone who can actually help you. So most of us don't have the wrong conversation, but we have the right conversation, but with the wrong people. And what Ecclesiastes is talking about is a community of people that can actually help us in our time of deep need. Are you with me this morning? In fact, I saw a great quote the other day. It says this. It says, Be who you needed when you were younger. Be who you needed when you were younger. I love that thought. I think about when, you know, some people, like we get older, we get into our 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond, and we actually forget what it is that we needed as young people, and then young people just become annoying to us. But think about when you were young people, who did you need in your world? What is it that you needed in your world? And this is what I love at the church. We have an opportunity not to retire, but to actually help people. And for those of you who are in your 30s now and, and getting into your 40s and, and, and older than that, I realise many of us get saved in our teenage years. And uh, as a result, we've got time on our side. And so we put our hand up for everything and we do a lot. And I think we think back, and think, man, we'd be married now and kids now. I can't do what I did. And we associate serving with how much we served as a teenager. But the reality is you can't serve at the same level when you're in different seasons of your life. But that doesn't mean you don't do anything. It means actually we, we still need your help. It just looks different. And so if you've got young family now, and you're that little bit older, I would say, actually, think about how you can help, but maybe it might just look different. And we're happy to talk about that, and, uh, so that we can actually work together into the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. Fantastic. Number four, uh, the walk is warmed. The walk is warmed. Two in a bed warm each other. Isn't that right, Jordan? Alone, you shiver all night. In other words, life should be enjoyed, not just endured. Have you ever heard the term a warm welcome? You know, we want people to come to church and have a warm welcome. We want it to be a warm experience, not a cold one. You ever walked into a room and, and you, the atmosphere, you could cut it with a knife, you, you feel atmospheres. And we want this atmosphere to be one of warmth and fun. And for me, I think fun is underrated particularly in church life, particularly uh, in in spiritual realms. Fun is a big part of life. And uh, we we make no apologies for how much fun we try to bring into a service and, and bring into life and bring into our marriage and bring into our family. It can't all be serious. If you're always serious, people won't take you seriously. They'll just turn off. And so you've got to learn to have fun. Our walk is warmed when we are together. Life is so much better together. As the band come up, that'd be great. Number five, the welfare is guarded. By yourself, you're unprotected, but with a friend, you can face the worst. In other words, we're stronger together. We're stronger together. We serve an enemy who wants to kill, steal and destroy. He wants to take from you. He wants to rob you. Every good thought, every God thought, he wants to take that thing from you. He wants to put you down. There are people who want to run you down. People will say lies about you. The devil is a father of lies and he lies all the time. And we need people who have got our back. You know, know, one of the disappointing things for me is that when you hear something about someone, how quickly we believe it. We need people in our lives who say, you know what, that could be true. But uh, I know that person. It doesn't seem like something they would do. And when you've got a community of people that have got your back, wouldn't it be great if something was said about you, that if someone heard it, wouldn't it be nice if someone heard it, they'd say, you know what, while it could be true, I'm going to find out. And until I find out differently, I'm going to extend the benefit of the doubt and believe that that's not true. You can make up an absolute lie and people believe it. Then you've got to try and prove your innocence. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. There should be some track record that we've been able to build up over the time. Your past is not perfect. The person to your right or left is not perfect. But there should be a history. There should be some things that we're putting in the bank to be able to draw trust. I know we don't have perfect kids, but if you told me certain things about our kids, I I may struggle to believe some of those things. And I I would just go and talk and say, look, I've heard this. Is there any truth to it? And I think this is what God wants us and our relationships to be like. Where we can actually protect one another. And, and it's, not a, it's not a blind loyalty. Because, oh, you follow him just blindly. No, no, no. You know in Hebrews it says obey your leaders. But before it says obey their, your leaders, it says consider the outcome and their ways and the outcome of their life. We should be able to consider something of their past, something of their history. And so if I heard things about my wife, I I would weigh it up with what I know about her over the last 36 years that we've been together. We've been together for over 36 years. And if I hear something that's out of context, I might talk to her about it, but I'm not going to instantly believe it. Wouldn't that be great? Not only do we instantly believe it, but we're one of the first to then spook what we've heard without even finding the truth of the source. There's so much problems in the world that we face today that we could eradicate just by doing and dealing with these things. Can you imagine if someone said something to you and said, well, you know what, one, it sounds out of character to that person. Two, why are you so willingly telling me? I, I, think we could sh- I think we could shift society quite quickly if we just put in these biblical values. Are you with me? In conclusion, Solomon, the author of this passage that we've been reading, says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And this three-chord that he's referring to is what it takes to make a relationship work. He's talking about you, and that's where the challenge comes. Can you round up a third? Can you be, play your part? Don't play God's part, don't play the other person's part. Can you play your part? You round up the third. But for a relationship to work, you need you, you need another person, and then you need God. I've had the privilege of officiating many, many weddings over the years. And every time I refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I let them know unconditionally, I said, you cannot live 1 Corinthians 13. As beautiful as it sounds, you can't live it without God. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about God's love, not your love. And I think this is where a lot of relationships go wrong. Marriages go wrong. Families go wrong. is when we expect someone to do what only God can do in that relationship. When you turn a three-chord strand into a two-chord strand, it is weakened. See, God's love is patient, not yours. Not mine. I'm not patient enough, and nor are you, but God is. That's really God's love in the middle. It's God's love that is kind. It's God's love that is not easily angered. Not yours, not mine. It's God's love. And if we're going to have a marriage that works, if we're going to have relationships that work, if we're going to have a church that works, there needs to be God in the middle. So it's the husband, wife and God. It's the parents, kids and God. It's the leaders and congregation and God. It's you, your buddy and God. You, your girlfriend and God. We need God in the midst. See, some people say prayer is the answer. Prayer is not the answer. Going to church is not your answer. Reading the Bible is not the answer. All those things are incredible aids, but they're not the answer in and of themselves. Because you can pray and not have God at the center. You can read your Bible and not have God at the center. You can, have, uh, you can go to church and not let God in. Does that make sense? And so the key to making relationships work is letting God in. You've got to let God in your marriage. You can read your Bible in your marriage. You can read your Bible together, but that alone won't change it. But if you have God in with the Bible, wow. You've got to let God in. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm so passionate about this because I I love God and I love people. And we've seen a lot of brokenness in our years of ministry. And more often than not, it comes back to this thing. We've just stopped letting God in. We read, we do all the disciplines, but we're not letting God in. We need God in our marriages. We need God in our relationships. Whenever I'm faced with a marriage that's struggling, I'll look at both parties and I'll say this, do you want it to work? And do you want it to work? Because if you don't want it to work, not even God can help you right now, let alone me. And if there's a hesitation or if there's a no, it's all over. Not even God can fix that. But if we're open and desiring and willing, and this person's open, desiring, and willing, God can get in the middle of that and change anything, no matter how bad things may be. This is the together effect. The weight is halved. The work is shared. The welfare is guarded. So many benefits to us doing life together which is a big part of our theme for this year. We're going to talk more about that next week. stage is going to look a little bit different. We're going to have Wes come and join us. It's going to be a phenomenal time. We're going to celebrate with some uh, jumping castles and some food and some activities outside. It's going to be a, a, a good, fun day. We're going to round out the day Sunday night with an anointing service and just pray for every individual, anoint every individual with oil. I believe our best days are ahead of us, church. But 26 years to get started, And we have this incredible opportunity to move forward on this great foundation of 26 years. Do you believe that? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.